This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. I did my first duplex in, in, in that period in my mid-20s um, because I kind of worked out mathematically that I could buy one, I could buy the land once and use it twice. But by the time I was 30, I had 30 properties. And really what I was doing is just leapfrogging equity. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking to property entrepreneur Keith Grisman of Property Only who kickstarted his investing when he was 17 to building a portfolio of over 30 properties by the age of 30. We'll find out the mechanics behind this and how he used mathematics to leapfrog properties. Grisman is the founder of management specialist company Property Only, among several other property-related businesses, and describes himself as a property surfer. Hi, I'm Keith Grisman, uh, property entrepreneur. I guess is the best description for me, but I like to call it property surfer. Um, why do I say that? Because um, surfing is my absolute passion after my family, and property is an investment strategy and a lifestyle for me that allows me to do that. So. My wife and I run a number of property-related businesses. We have a a reasonably large residential property management role. We do some commercial management because it's a a large area of my expertise in the past. Um, We also have a couple of residential sales agencies and uh, we obviously do a fair bit of investing, which in turn often tends to be a little bit of uh, property development activity. In any given day, he likes to keep his routine flexible so as to make time for his family. My day's random and that's what I like. Um, I'd like to say that I run my day by the tides and the swell and look, that's partly true but in reality, obviously, we've all got commitments. So, um, I'm a full-time dad 50% of the time. I share my, share my son with my ex-wife. Um, so, every second week, I need complete flexibility. I do the pick up and drop off every day. Um, so, all of our property businesses do revolve around me being able to be completely flexible. Originally growing up in southern Sydney, Grisman's family quit the rat race of Sydney when he was a teenager. I grew up in Sydney. I'm, uh, I'm, I was proudly born in uh, what's called Cogger or St George Hospital. Um, my mum and dad uh, had grown up there. They were very young when I was born, 17 and 19. So I was kind of born into a young adult world. Um, I was dragged along to every circumstance. So I like to think that that helped me a lot in terms of my early um communication skills. Um, Mum and dad eventually decided to leave what they called the rat race of Sydney um, when I was 14 turning 15 and we moved to Queensland. Um, I thought it was about them and getting out of the rat race but it turned out that really it was about my sister and I and they thought there was much more opportunity in Queensland and I completely think they were right. 
So, you know, the peak of your adolescent years, I completely did not want to come. And the only way Dad um, managed to get me into the car was he showed me a map, which was um, where we were moving to, and it was three streets from the beach, and I couldn't get in the car fast enough. Completing the final years of his tertiary education in Queensland, he was engaged in a stage of empowerment that cultivated early entrepreneurial skills. We ended up living in a place called Bribe Island, which is um, completely in the middle of the outer limits of Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast. And um, we were the first lot of uh, graduating students through that brand new high school. So what was really cool about that is the uh, the principal really empowered us. Um, I was the school captain, um, but he empowered our you know the kind of student leadership group to do everything from designing the uniforms to putting some of the processes and procedures in place. So it was kind of like a little entrepreneurial lesson, and you know he was clearly teaching us and playing with us without us knowing what, what was going on. But it was a fantastic experience. Wow, that would be awesome to have a school teacher like that, and and people to encourage people or children to do that. That is just. Yeah, it's unheard of to be honest. I haven't actually heard that in schools. It was so lucky. Yeah. I've got you know, obviously at school there's a tussle with the principal, and there was that. Um, you know, like we're all trying to get away with stuff, and he's all he's trying to keep us on the rails. <laughs> but but um, I was blessed that that I had him. His name was Greg Peach, and um, to sidetrack on that, um, about five years ago. I was walking out of my office and there he is sitting and I had seen him a few times beforehand. I know his kids. He's sitting in a restaurant with a group of about 10 other clearly teachery looking people. And I walked over and said, hello. And it was his, um, it was his um, retirement party. Oh, wow. So I literally happened to walk into his retirement party. So I got a chance to say the things that you'd like to say to that favorite teacher or that favorite principal that you maybe always don't get as a young kid to say. And it was fantastic. After this amazing high school experience, Grisman was motivated to get a job quickly. I seem to remember that it was Boxing Day after I finished grade 12 and um, I'd applied to, you know, a whole bunch of unis and TAFEs and kind of figured I'd keep all of my options open and I was watching the cricket on Boxing Day and Dad walked in and basically gave me a serve and said, what are you doing with your life? Why are you sitting on the couch? Why don't you have a job yet? Um, so my my dad was the son of a of a, a Russian Jew, so a Russian immigrant, and uh, you know dad was nineteen when I was born, so he he worked a a, a pretty intense life with a young family, um, so he wasn't one for sitting around much. Um, an ad came on the TV for the Queensland Police Service um, looking for jobs, and I pointed at the TV and I said, "Dad, I'm going to do that." <laughs> what was his response to that? I don't even remember what he said, but it was one of those serendipitous moments that was it was both it was both silly and also life changing. So, um, what I didn't know at the time is the Fitzgerald Inquiry had just run through the Queensland Police, and they were doing the single biggest intake ever, which was 400 students or uh, 400 cadets. Uh, 10,000 people applied, and somehow I managed to form my way into the last 400 and. Um, I started there in February after literally getting a call the day before and saying, hey, you're in, what are you doing in the morning? I drove down to the police academy at Oxley and my life as a, as, as a policeman started basically. However, this stint didn't last longer than three years before he decided to do other things. It was a fantastic three years, i got to say. I, you know, like you do in your early life, I've met some amazing people, some lifelong friends. Um, and uh, the, the things that I learned in the police um, about 
you know, people, the community, communication, all those sorts of things are things that have stood me in great stead all of my life. But it was a pretty short stint. I loved it, but it's, it's you know, I'm a, I'm a born entrepreneur and I didn't know it then. Um, so necessarily it wasn't the place for me. Um, so I left there and did a couple of really odd things. So I kind of, because I did three years there, I missed the gap year slash backpack around the place. So I kind of toured around a bit and I ran a farm in Tasmania for a while with the B&B attached to it. I sold saucepans door to door, which was fantastic for uh, sales skills. And yeah. in a couple of those jobs, I definitely learned what I didn't want to do as opposed to what I really did want to do. And then um, I ended up working for a property developer on their um, real estate sales and marketing side. So that got my, I guess, professional property career started. But from a day-to-day property investment perspective, when I was 17 at the police academy, um, I bought my first property. So I guess that's really where it started. The influence to start investing in property so young stemmed from Grisman's father, who was always looking for ways to add value to their home. Yeah, my dad's an electrician. Um, so growing up, I grew up in a house that I best, I guess you could best describe as was being you know, eternally renovated. <laughs> we only probably lived in three or four houses while I was at home. But, um, you know, dad was always looking to value add. And so um, for whatever reason, I'm just blessed that, and, and that's most likely the Russian Jew heritage on my dad's side, but I'm just really good with numbers. And um, so I just remember how much they bought a house for, how much they sold it for. Um, so I guess at 17, property just made sense to me and I knew that, you know, one and one could equal, you know, 2.2. With his father's experience as an electrician and his leaning towards renovating, the family moved around a lot. My mum used to say that my dad was part gypsy um, <laughs> because we did we did move a bit. But just in the context, I mean, again, mum and dad were 17, 19 when I was born. You know, I, I don't know about you, but at 17 and 19 and even at 27 and 29, I'm not sure I knew what I was doing, you know, the next year, let alone um, on a long-term basis. So I think they just did the best that they could in terms of trying to survive. So, yeah, it was only four or five houses, I guess, in the, you know, 17 years that I lived at home. But one thing's for sure, we never lived in a house that didn't get regularly updated or changed or, you know, in, in, in a term that we now know value added to. Grisman worked for a property developer, which kick-started his property career and he learned a lot that chalked up to experience. The property developer that I worked for, he was uh, a large land subdivider. So, I mean, like some examples people might know is Washington and Meyer Developments. They were kind of pretty atypical buying large Englobo parcels on the fringe of town and, you know, sometimes beyond the fringe and then cutting them up and taking people there. So these guys did pretty much that. So, um, so basically what they did is they sat us in a real estate sales office and we were effectively asked to pretend to be day-to-day residential real estate agents, but with the specific task of selling their land. Um, I can't say it's a model that I particularly liked, um, but but I learned a lot about the property business there. And as I said before, with some of the other jobs I had, um, I think it's really important to learn what you don't want to do as much as what you do want to do, because I think that can you know shape your activities and your energy as well as your ethics. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, is that it's easy to just do the things that you enjoy, but if you don't actually get experience what it's like to do the things that you don't like and, and experience it overall, you won't know because in the end of the day, you might actually jump into it down the track and realize, holy moly, I spent all that time doing the things I hated and then realizing, gosh, I had all that time to learn about it. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in those environments, there's a lot to be said for osmosis, right? There's people around you who are, you know, buying and selling and building and, you know, thinking and talking and, and you know, I guess if you've, if you've got the right filter, you can try and absorb the good stuff and, and discard the bad stuff. Although enjoying the sales side of working for a property developer, the ethics side of it didn't sit well with Grisman. He then moved on to a different company in the Sunshine Coast. I learned a lot but it was time to move on and there was this little ad in the paper um, and I don't really remember what it said except it said Sunshine Coast and it said property and I wanted to get up on the coast uh, because obviously of my love of surfing. So I turned up for this job and really what they were looking for was kind of an apprentice um, kind of gopher person. It was three directors of a company, two of them were commercial real estate agents and one of them was a builder and they had their own little commercial agency and they would put um, deals together for themselves and, and do small developments. So I was the first non-administrative employee and um, when uh, I did the interview, it was kind of apparent that they weren't really looking to pay much more than an apprentice's wage and somehow I convinced them, I guess because I owned two properties at the time that I was worth a try, they agreed to pay me a bit more and and I, and I started and I clearly remember the first day I turned up because I got out of the briefcase, looked up at the office building and thought, I have no idea what this job is about. <laughs> <laughs> but it was on the Sunshine Coast and it was in property. That's all I knew. In the meantime, he was employed there to learn a great deal about the local market and commercial property, which is now an area he specializes in. So what they did is they taught me commercial agency and, and obviously com- commercial property you know as a method is very mathematical in its approach so um, I, was, I was blessed that I worked with two guys who were you know really on top of their game in terms of their local market and, and um, you know for the next three or four years they proceeded to teach me everything there was about commercial property um, sadly the three of them kind of ate each other up in the end and you know two bought one out and then there was one left and then eventually I ended up buying him out about four years later and um, uh, and so during that time though the Sunshine Coast was growing um, like most coastal areas and you would get a tenant requirement or even a buyer requirement where they would be looking for a, you know a building with a um, you know a red door and a, and, a, and a green roof or you know 300 square meters with this dimension or whatever and and quite consistently the buildings didn't exist that they wanted so um, I guess I drew on two little tiny bits of experience one was I built houses so I understood that you, you could create something that didn't already exist and I did tech drawing at school so just from the point of view of just understanding how to draw something and so I would say, well, I, d- I can't find what you're looking for, but here's a block of land, um, here's a sketch, and I'm and I'm talking back of the envelope, really crude stuff. But and and if I could get their buy-in, then I would trudge off to a builder, and um, say, would you buy this block of land and build this shed for this person? So what I kind of ended up falling into was, you know, design and construct mentality for um, for tenants. So you know, for purpose-built requirements is another way to describe it. The commercial property business, opened in the mid-90s, still operates today under different ownership. Well, when that business fell apart, obviously there was, there was a, you know, it's a small town, there's a bit of rumour. So I got approached by another guy who'd been a big, um, a big um, agent 
um, in Brisbane. And he just kind of come to the coast and was a one-man band and he wanted to grow. So he approached me to employ me and I said no and explained what had gone on. And long story short, we best described merged the businesses. And 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 that business still exists today. And on the Sunshine Coast, that's the Savills business. So it's now, you know, now owned by an international firm. And but the genesis of that of the business was you know, was that phone call and our, our merger of our two little tin pot, you know, local agencies. If- Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Grisman's property investing journey all started. You know, I was probably partly showing off to be honest, but being the arrogant teenager that I was, I pointed to that and said, I'm going to buy one of those. Um, so I then hatched a plan um, by talking to dad about how we would make that work. What he did to build his portfolio. But by the time I was 30, I had 30 properties. And really what I was doing is just leapfrogging equity. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Looking at buying property, unsure which suburb to choose? Let me share with you an amazing tool. It's called Location Score and it's the simplest way to decide where to buy profitable property all over Australia. Created by property experts Ben Kingsley, Bryce Holloway and Jeremy Shepard. You can check it out at propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score. Also, when you buy through my affiliate link, I'll give you one month access to the Property Investory Club where you can learn from the experts and be part of a private property investing community made at $99. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score to claim your special offer. Christmas' early start as a property investor began on the Sunshine Coast when he was young and confident enough to have a go. As I mentioned before, I bought my first house at 17 so while I was at the police and, and if you like, I'll tell you that story because it's an interesting one but in grade 10, um, a friend of mine, um, his parents had a caravan at Coolum on the Sunshine Coast um, so we would go and stay there for two weeks and just surf our brains out for two weeks. Um, so then when I was then when I was 17, um, I was uh, then my then girlfriend's house and walked past a dad who was reading the Saturday paper and there was an ad for some government land being auctioned at Coolum and being, you know, I was probably partly showing off to be honest, but being the arrogant teenager that I was, I pointed to that and said, I'm going to buy one of those. Um, so I then hatched a plan um, by talking to dad about how we would make that work and um we ended up going to the government auction and um, bought two blocks of land. Dad bought one and I bought one. And what I didn't know at the time is that you weren't actually allowed to buy land, I don't think, until you were 18, but no one told us that. Literally, <laughs> no. And and the government terms were pretty attractive. You didn't need to qualify for a loan. What would happen is you'd pay 10% on the drop of the hammer and then you'd pay another 10% in 12 months' time. Um, so basically I had a year to work out how I was going to make this work and, you know, it's not something at all I would suggest people do but, again, at the time I was, you know, probably young enough and dumb enough and ignorant enough and arrogant enough to, to have a go and, and, I, and I think that that's a trait that stands a lot of against a lot of property investors. They, they don't get in and have a go. So how did it make it work and scrape through enough for the 10% within a year? What happened was, I mean, at the end of the auction, we owned the property, we paid the 10%. And, you know, I, I discussed with dad borrowing the money off him. Unfortunately, my grandmother had just passed away. So it was a small inheritance. So he lent me the, 
the the uh, well the, the block was thirty two and a half thousand dollars. You'd buy a few of those now if you get your hands on them, right? <laughs> yeah, Decide to cool them. <laughs> um, so it was three three thousand two hundred and fifty. We had to pay, so Dad landed to me on the basis that I'd pay him back within a year. Um, and uh, I'd kind of budgeted that, including beer money, the Fleece Academy. I, I think I was about I was about twenty dollars left over to be able to save up the payments that I needed to to get to the end of the year. And and as you do, a bit like a university assignment, you know, kind of as the as the date comes, you haven't necessarily done enough or put enough away. So I um I went to a local real estate agent in Coolum, and as I walked in, the lady at the counter said, "Rentals are that way." <laughs> and I went, no, no, I'm here to sell a block of land. Oh, okay, sir. Well, then, you know, over this way. So eventually I found an agent who, you know, suited me and and he came back with an offer for $47,500 and um, coincidentally was from the government. So the Housing Commission were looking to buy some land and he was the government selling it to me for one figure, lending me the money and then offering to buy it on another. It turned... <laughs> Yeah, it was a classic story. That is classic. And, and complete, you know, complete dumb luck. From there, Grisman managed to build a house on his block of land and worked hard to create a property which would increase to a value of over $150,000. But what ended up happening was they had another block in the street because they kept one back from the auction. And obviously, right hand didn't know what left hand was doing. So they turned me down and, you know, they, they pulled out on the contract. So. I then went to the Queensland Police Credit Union, I guess, which was my bank at the time, and said, well, this lot, this land has now got to be worth this much, doesn't it? So will you give me the money to, you know, to pay the government out? And, and they did. And, and through that process, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I somehow worked out that that I could get enough money also to build a house. So I think for the princely sum of about $85,000, um, I managed to build a house on this block of land. And then I kind of did what Dad did. I mean, I... You know, I negotiated with the builder for no carpet, no driveway, no landscaping, and and I just did all of that myself. So I literally slept on the floor for the first you know, couple of weeks that the house was finished, and while well, I painted it myself inside, and I did my own driveway and did my own landscaping, all things that I'd just seen Dad do to save money. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, what I was doing is you know creating equity and value and savings without necessarily knowing. In a technical term, so. yeah, yeah, wow, that is entrepreneurial success right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a great time. I mean, you know, I got some friends, wrote some friends in, and you know, we go into the pub at night and I'd shake them some beers, and they'd come and paint the next day. All the sorts of things that you know that, that people do. Yeah. But uh, but it, it worked, and you know, at the end, uh, I got it revalued, and you know, it was worth, I think, from memory, about one hundred and thirty-five or one hundred forty thousand dollars. So yeah, that was kind of it. Um, and then so. Going back to the developer story, by the time I was at the developer, you know, that property was probably worth 150 or 180,000. I can't remember exactly, but we were selling land. I found a block that I liked. I approached the developer for, you know, that I worked for for a chance to buy it and a bit of a discount. And I just did the same thing again. Having come a long way since he was 17 and jumping in, by the time he reached 30 years of age, he had 30 properties under his belt and leapfrogging off the equity they produced. I think by 25, I probably had, I can't remember exactly, but three or four. I seem to remember at 26, I might have had four or five. So, um, and largely speaking, it was buy a block of land, construct a building of some kind. You know, I did my first duplex in, in, in that period in my mid-20s um, because I kind of worked out mathematically that I could buy one, I could buy the land once and use it twice. 
Um, so, so that, again, mathematical approach. And my commercial experience at the time would have, you know, absolutely helped with that um, as well as my background. But, um, but by the time I was 30, I had 30 properties. And really what I was doing is just leapfrogging equity. So at that stage, you didn't need lenders' mortgage insurance um, at 85% LVR. So I would just constantly run the numbers on valuation and my LVR on my portfolio. And I've got a spreadsheet that I use to this day, very similar to what I used back then. And I'd just go, what do I think it's worth? Is there any more equity I can squeeze out? I would then go and talk to the bank, the valuer, you know, do the rounds. And if I could prove up my equity, then I'd be on the hunt to find something else. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, so it was you know it was just a constant process of revisiting and running the you know the same theory. Um, I, I was I was definitely um, um, benefiting from having come from Sydney. I remember very clearly um, what happened with my parents selling out of Sydney to come to Queensland, and and it's it's not unlike what's going on now in my opinion. And that was that this is the late, the late eighties. They couldn't sell their house in Peakhurst for $180,000. So what they decided to do was they'd rent it out for a year, move to Queensland, and then, you know, look to sell it down the track. Well, um, after they put it back on the market a year later, they sold it for $320,000 in the space of a week. <laughs> um, so so then the houses that we were living in uh, and that my parents were looking at buying as, uh, as a home in Queensland were, you know, sixty dollars to $80,000. Now, I didn't know much about, you know, job economics and macro and micro at that point, obviously. But but I definitely remember that, well, hang on, houses up here are a hell of a lot cheaper and it's a much nicer place to live. Yeah. So so I went hard in my 20s thinking people will work this out. They'll work out that it's expensive down there and that it's cheaper up here and this is a much better place to live. So I just went all in. However, he does admit that sometimes being all in has its risks and drawbacks. Look, being all in doesn't always work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. plenty of times I've done it and got it wrong, as we, as I'm happy to share. But, but at that, at that time, it did. So by the time I was 30, I owned 30 properties, and um, I specifically remember um, having a conversation with my then residential property manager, and I worked out that they weren't doing their periodic inspections. And you know, my 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 creations, my properties were pretty precious to me, and I just thought that wasn't right. And at about that time, property managers earned about thirty thousand dollars a year too. So I could do the math: thirty properties. I was thirty thirty thousand a year. That all made sense. So I thought I'm just going to hire my own person, and um and they'll manage my properties. And um when they've got spare time, they can kind of do some of the admin load that comes with owning thirty properties. Yeah, so you pretty um, much were starting to run your own agency by sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. So um so I kind of tied that in with a few other things, and you know, friends and friends of friends and. I started the business that's um, that still runs to this day. It's called Property Only, which is a, a residential management specialist. A lesson Grisman learned during his property investing journey was not to place life on the back burner while focusing on his goals. This came about when the famous GFC hit. In the GFC, I got completely and utterly beaten up. Um, you know, the, 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 the credit market that existed at the time was certainly something that, that I, I didn't even know it could exist in that fashion, let alone that it would play out the way that it did. So, um, what I, you know, if I try and take some gems of wisdom out of that, it's that, uh, well, what I learned a lot through my investment strategy up until then is I was doing delayed gratification. You know, I was um, putting all of my money into my property and, you know, I was certainly having a, you know, having a good time and 
but largely speaking, I was completely focused on on you know my property portfolio and and you know kind of putting life to the side. And and when the GFC hit, and as I say, I got beaten up really bad. Um, I realised that you know there's no substitute for time. So it's all great to talk about investment strategy and wealth and doing this, but you know ultimately also you've got to have that balance. And you know that's very cliche, but it, it was so true. So what happened in this worst case scenario come true? So at thirty, I've got thirty properties, and and this is um, in the in the really crucial period around when the GST is introduced. And as we all now know, after that happened and before the GFC, I call it the period between the G's. Um, up here on the Sunshine Coast, everything you did in property would turn to gold. And we had property literally double and double again in the space of about five or six years. So for someone who um, was owning, you know, 30, 30 plus properties, depending on where you want to peg the time, when you have your portfolio double and double again and you always run hard on using up all of your equity to reinvest, I literally couldn't buy properties fast enough or spend my money fast enough to keep all of my equity at use. And, and what I failed to do was kind of reset the strategy. So I got to a point where pre-GFC, you know, I think I was up to 67 properties, um, but they weren't all just residential houses. There was a bunch of commercial properties in there because I was acting as a commercial agent. And very early on in my commercial career, I wouldn't invest in commercial property because I didn't want to be in conflict with my clients was one reason. But secondly, the LVRs weren't as attractive. So, you know, it was, it was a lot harder to buy properties. But, but But as I transitioned out of commercial property through my design and construct, I ended up becoming a, you know, becoming a, you know, I guess you'd say a hardcore developer. Um, and uh, so therefore I started investing personally in commercial properties. So, so when I had the 67 odd properties pre-GFC, a bunch of that was commercial. So economic times were tough. Interest rates were, were going up. Credit was harder to get and, and businesses um, were doing it tough. So I had huge cash flow shortages in my commercial portfolio and then, as we now all know, the banks were hurting on their own credit. So they started to withdraw credit facilities, and in some cases, they'd do that overnight. Wow. So, so, you know, the music stopped, and there weren't enough chairs to go around. The only way he could overcome a situation of this magnitude was to live, learn, and alter his strategy. You know, I was in the wilderness for a long time, you know, financially and mentally. Um, uh, I, I guess if I discuss how I treat my strategy now, I, you know, I, I don't push as hard and, you know, experience and, and age have certainly helped with that. But, um, you know, I, I don't push my LVRs as high. Like if, if I'm, you know, in today's terms at 80% and my portfolio goes to 70, I'm not looking to go out and use that 10% to go and buy something else. You know, my LVRs are much more conservative. I'm extremely cautious about commercial debt and business debt. I mean, if you look at the banking industry now, largely they don't really want to lend to small and medium businesses. There's, you know, they're not interested if it's not, you know, property or primarily residential security. And in my opinion, a commercial debt is largely a 90-day bank bill that they can withdraw at any time on, you know, some pretty horrendous conditions. So I'm extremely cautious about commercial property, despite the fact that I know it back to front. I just got beaten up, you know, like I, 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 I tore up um, millions and millions of dollars. And um, whilst I definitely made um, some mistakes, you know, like no one can go through 
getting beaten up and say it was all, it was all them or it was all someone else, you know, whether it's pushed too hard, made the wrong decision to buy the wrong building or, you know, sign up with the wrong tenant, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, we had a really unusual situation in a credit market where, you know, there was mass withdrawal. Um, so how do I deal with that now? I'm extremely conservative on the type of loans that I take the type of properties that I buy and the LVR that's there. So if there is a drama, um, I can you know, potentially do what I could have done if I'd have taken a different strategy pre-GFC. I'd have sailed through and gone, GF what? Sorry, I don't even know what you mean. The thing that Grisman likes the most about property investing is the simplicity of it with three alternate ways in which to generate wealth from it. With property, I don't know that um, I've literally been in the middle of a transaction and gone, ah, you know, there's some times certainly where I'm trying to solve a puzzle. I might like a property, but I can't quite work out how to buy it or, you know, how to approach it. And, you know, I go for a run or go for a swim or go for a surf and, and Headspace allows you to, you know, to come up with a solution to the puzzle. Um, but, but, but I, look, the thing about property to me is it's really actually quite simple. Um, you know, there's, there's there's three ways to um, make money in property. Um, you buy something for less than it's worth. You buy something that um, you can value add in some way. So, you know, renovation is the most commonly discussed one, but there's there's subdivision. There's addition of an additional um, dwelling that can produce income. There's the you know rezoning of it. There's so many things you can do to a property. To, um, to value add it. And the third thing, of course, is that you can buy in a high growth area and do nothing except just wait for the tide to, you know, to come in. So th- those three approaches are really simple. And if you can find a property that can combine all three, then you can, you know, you can go really well and they absolutely exist. The deal of the decade comes along once a fortnight. So you just have to be patient and wait for the right one. But all of those things are just about solving a problem. And, you know, you mentioned it before, in terms of business and in terms of property, like go and find the crappiest property you can and solve the problem and you'll create value. Like it's that easy. Yeah, and I love that. That that is exactly true. And that's regardless whether it be in property investing or business or anything in life, if you can solve the biggest problem and add value, you've created wealth. Even in relationships, you know, you you can have a relationship but I don't just necessarily mean one at home. I mean with friends where... You know, a, a tribulation can turn into a great asset in terms of that relationship if you can solve it. So, inspired by Grisman's journey in its highs and lows, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story. We'll discover the nuts and bolts of his strategy. I've got a one-hour rule. If something goes wrong, I want to be there in an hour to make a decision about how to fix it. The personal habits that have contributed to his success you know, I watched my dad never stop and, um, and you know, it's a trait that I have to tone down on myself. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Invest Story. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.